Kia church. Again, hope you're having a cracker summer break. Many of us will be kind of getting back into work now. And today, some of us are meeting in picnics around the place. Next Sunday is our very first service. Uh, but today, we've got a talk from Steve Graham. Steve's a good friend of ours here at Bay Vineyard. He spoke at our camp last year. And uh, this is a talk in which he explores why he loves the church. I'd love everyone in our church to listen to this, especially as we look at regathering as a community next Sunday. This is such an encouraging inspiring and very moving talk and I'm sure you're going to get a lot out of it. Uh, he uh, gave this talk uh, for those that are in the UK at the Equippers Church over there uh, and he kindly said that we could use it uh, for our Sunday service this week. And so as I said last week this will be on all of our usual uh, podcast pipes, it'll be on YouTube and all the other different places uh, and you can watch it here on Facebook. But enjoy this beautiful talk by Steve Grant. I'm sure this will move you and motivate you as we look at restarting our services shortly. Kakite. Uh, we've been doing this series in New Zealand called Our House, God's House about um, the church and, and what the church means to us. And we kind of had come to the end of the series and we're ready to start in a new one. And there was a kind of weak gap that I, that I was down to speak for. And it kind of got me thinking about church. And, and how I feel about church. And I'd love to share with you this morning um, around this topic, why I love church. And I actually, I do love church. And that's not a naive thing. It's not a simplistic thing. I've been part of church for probably 50 years. And, and I know there's ups and downs. I know there's challenges and disappointments. But I still love church. And I love our church. But I actually, I love church. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was with all the pastors of a, another Pentecostal movement in our country. I love what they're doing. Next week, I'm with all of the vineyard pastors from New Zealand. I love what they're doing. My son is a Wesleyan uh, pastor in a church. My wife's brother is an Anglican minister. I supervise a young woman who's a Presbyterian uh, minister. We just have wide connections. I'm part of this Christian uh, theological and ministry education sector for our country. We sit and meet with Salvation Army and Baptist and Catholic. I love what they're doing. I love the church and I love our church. And I'd love to just to share with you why I love the church. But kind of two kind of caveats to that. Um, I love the fact that Jesus and, and the rest of the New Testament don't give us a lot of direct instructions about what we're supposed to be doing. But they paint a whole lot of pictures. They use a whole lot of images. Church is a family. Church is a temple. Church is a bride. And, and for me, it's like, it's like each of those, there are certain moments when we touch the best of those things. And it's like in those moments, it's like, oh, that's why I love church. A bit like being a family, there's lots of kind of mundane and just doing business in between, but there are certain moments you're like, this is the best of us as a family. And I want to say that about church. There are moments when you go, oh, this is why I love church. I was reading an article a few weeks ago, nothing to do with church, nothing to do with Christianity, actually, or spirituality, but a person just used that metaphor of an experience they had as a child, and they said, it was like I touched heaven. And decades later, they made some significant changes because of that moment. And for me, it's a bit like that with church. There are moments that you go, that's why I love church, and that's why I'm committed to it. But the kind of second caveat is this, well, what do you do with that gap between the moments of the best and the rest? And Pastor Sam Monk often talks about we live with this, this gap between our vision, our dream, and our reality. And what do you do with that gap? Because really, it can be a gap of disappointment that can turn into a gap of a hardness, a bitterness, a resentment, a cynicism. And, and I want to suggest to you today that we turn it into a gap of yearning. Like, I just want more of the best of who we are. 
I want more of those moments of wonder, of transcendence, of beauty. And, and that's why I love church. And that's why I still pursue the best of who we are. So I just want to talk about six images and talk about the best of these things. So the first one, maybe surprisingly, it's like the first thing you want to say about church actually is it's a family. And so if you look in scripture, Paul says this, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Peter says similar, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers. Back to Paul, in fact, you, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters. And it's like before we're an organization, before we're an enterprise, before anything else, we're actually a family. And this actually goes right back to Jesus. Incident, he's talking with all his disciples, his mum and his brothers turn up. Uh, they, the disciples tell him, your mum's here, she wants to talk to you. And Jesus makes this staggering, kind of culturally offensive response. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. And it's like the first thing we want to say about church and why I love church is at the heart of it, it's family. And family is important. Um, again, a lot of the time, family is just like passing ships in the night. Who's taking out the rubbish? Whose job is it to do the dishes? Who's paying the bills? But there are moments that you touch the best of what family is about. And the last few weeks has been a bit like that for my family. Um, our middle daughter graduated from university. Um, some of you may know she had, a, we had, she had some challenges as a teenager, left school at 16, uh, actually ran away from home, was pregnant at 18. But, but as a young mum, she just worked as a, in the city council in Christchurch, New Zealand, got a job. She's a real clever, real intelligent person, worked her way up, uh, became a town planner, actually. And then, and then in her 20s, it's like, well, you need to get a degree to do this. So the last four years, she's been full-time, mum full-time working and completed a three-year degree in four years and so as she's finishing um we're like are you going to your graduation and she's like oh, i'm but tired and so our youngest daughter was like no you're definitely going to your graduation and we're all flying down and we're all going out for dinner afterwards and just seeing her success in life and celebrating with her daughter our granddaughter who's now 10 and you go this is something of the best of family when we celebrate each other's success and we've been through some hard times and and we're just four people and and so man the best of family is those high points but it's also sometimes the best of family is is the opposite is the real challenging points and, and that same day, just the night before, my mum had had a fall and was taken into hospital. And we're like, man, we really need to go to this graduation. So we went, came back and walked straight into a meeting with the, with the doctors. And one of those really, one of those kind of really awkward meetings where the doctors go, actually, we're not going to aggressively treat uh, your mum to get her better. We're just going to keep her comfortable as she passes away. And suddenly it's like, oh man, things just got really real for us as a family. And so again, as a family, we all just pulled together, went and camped out in her hospital room for four days, just like, we're just going to be with you. And uh, I, my mum was solo mum, bringing up two little kids, didn't have a lot of kind of friendships, got really close to my wife, Christine. I don't really know the context of this, but at some point my wife had said to her, uh, Mary, you're not going to die alone. Um, we're going to be with you there. And so she just committed to it. So she sat up every night with her, holding her hand, uh, just saying, we're going to be there with you. 
Gina, my youngest daughter is now 25. I remember her as a two or three year old, kind of standing on the couch behind Nana, just kind of twiddling Nana's hair and putting in hair ties and stuff. And then, you know, in those days, she just stood by Nana's bed and stroked her hair and twiddled her hair again. And it's like, man, this is what family is about. We're all there when she took her last breath. And we gathered around her and we prayed. And then, you know, and then a few days later, we just had a, a private family funeral, where as a family, we gathered around um, my mom and our kids, Nana, and just said farewell to her. And it's like, man, this is what family's about. And, and I saw the same at church. You know, I was really touched by the expressions of care and concern during that time, some of which was from some of you in England, and realizing, man, people do care about us and all the busyness of activity and stuff. This is actually about care and concern. And students at college gathered around and prayed for me and gave me some nice things. But there was one thing that really touched my heart on this. There was actually a group of uh, former students who communicated together uh, online on Messenger and, and put together this money and put together some gifts. And I'll never forget uh, one evening, this knock at the door and this young couple just handing over um, these gifts to us and seeing the look of, uh, of care and concern in their eyes. And the thought that struck me was this, oh, you actually, you reap what you sow. And I realized that I'd really sown into their lives. I'd really invested in their lives. I'd really loved them. And in my moment of kind of need or vulnerability, they loved me too. And, and it's, like, it's not like that with everyone. Church is not where everybody loves everybody, but it is a place where everybody belongs somewhere. And, and it's like, man, we won't want to say a whole lot of things about church, but the first thing we want to say is actually we're family. And it kind of can feel a bit awkward, but, but to go actually Church is, I love these people and they love me. And, th and that's the first thing I want to say about church. And that's why I love church, because when push comes to shove and everything else, there are some people that I love, and actually I know they love me. Which kind of leads to the second thing, the church is a bride. Again, biblically, book of Revelation, let us rejoice and be glad, give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride, i.e. the church, has made herself ready. Paul talks about this, advising husbands, Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. It's the image of Christ relates to the church as a husband relates to a bride. And again, I love weddings. And again, a lot of weddings can be conflict and organization and, and just a bit of aggro between people. But there are moments in a wedding, and they are beautiful moments. The moment when the bride appears and the groom sees her for the first time and, 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 is, and is overcome by her beauty. The moment that the couple are standing, looking into each other's eyes, exchanging vows. And, and for me, the thing about the image of the bride is I love the church because there are moments of beauty. For me, the, uh, the moment to see a whole lot of young people up the front praising Jesus or raising their hands to respond to Jesus. When we have a baptism service and there's a whole line of people ready to make a public display of their faith in Jesus. 
those children's church graduations when all the two-year-olds are up on stage and getting their little certificate, those moments where someone that you've seen around church uh, for ages and don't really know them, but they're giving one of those little offering talks or testimony, and you realize that they've had moments of encounter with God, and they have something beautiful about their faith. And I love church because it's a family where there's love, but I love church because it's a bride and there are beautiful moments. And I just want more of those moments, and that's why I keep coming back, because beautiful things happen at church, which kind of leads to the third one. I love church because it's a temple. Again, Paul says this, don't you know that you yourselves together are God's temple, and God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Down the bottom, you together are that temple. Peter says the same. Uh, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Back to Paul, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Hebrews, we are his house. And the church is a family where there's moments of love. It's a bride where there's moments of beauty. But the thing about the moments that are beautiful, they're beautiful because they're transcendent moments. And it's moments when you feel like heaven touches earth. And it's like, that's why I love church. I remember at a shout conference where one of the worship leaders was just leading worship and in a moment was just overcome and couldn't continue singing and just kind of bent over, just moved by the presence of God. And there was this kind of eruption from the crowd like, yes. And you realize that's what we're here for. Those moments when heaven touches earth, those moments when uh, at the end of a service, when we always give people a chance to respond to Jesus, and there's often one or two or three or four or five hands, but there are moments when when you've got your eyes closed and you just hear, I see that hand, 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 and 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 it's like 15, 20, 25, and, and it's like heaven just opened. We're in the middle of a moment when heaven is touching earth. Accounts of people being healed. We, I was just, the other weekend, I was filling in for someone at an encounter weekend. It's a weekend we have of inner healing and seeing people set free. And it was just a, a, just a quick replacement. But the night before, I just felt God say, I want to give you a word of knowledge about tomorrow when he gives you some detail. And I just felt God say, there's going to be this person that had, had this kind of premature death over their life. But, but God wants them to know that he orders their days. He determines their days. And the sense of the smile of God, that nothing would stop that. And then kind of in the middle of the busyness of the day, I kind of forgot about it. I was all packing up at the end of my session, ready to go. I just felt the Holy Spirit say, just wait. So I waited, and eventually this guy came up to me and said, hey, I know you're not part of the prayer team, but would you be able to pray for me? I don't know, I just feel like maybe you got something for me. I was like, oh, I don't know, tell me your story. And he started telling me about several suicide attempts he'd tried, where the rope had broken and other things. And, and I was like, I do have a word for you. God told me about you last night, and today he told me to wait for you. And God wants you to know that he determines your days, and he's for you. And it's like, man, it was a busy weekend, but I went home like, for that moment, that's why I still love church. For those moments when heaven breaks in, and, and there, are, there are moments of love where we're just together, but there are beautiful moments, but they are beautiful because they're transcendent moments, and that's why I love church, which kind of goes on from the temple. All of those ones, I love church because we're a family. I love church because we're a bride. I love church because we're, we're a temple. But actually, all of that only happens because we're a body. And I love church because we're a body. Paul says this, 
just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And again, 1 Corinthians, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now you are the body of Christ. I love the fact that church is not about a few superstars. Church is a whole lot of people that together bring their gifts to the table and together that's how we create that family. That's how we create those moments of beauty of the bride. That's how we create that temple where transcendent things happen. Again, just a few weeks ago, uh, we've got a 13-month-old granddaughter and her parents had to come to Auckland for some meetings. So we looked after her for the weekend. It's been a long time since Christine and I have had a baby sleeping in our room. But so she was with us for Sunday. So we brought her to church and Christine had a role in the service. So I was on granddad duty. So I had to venture into parts of the church that I don't often go to, like go and find the kids' check-in, go and find the parents' room. And to, and to see there were people whose whole church experience was waiting for, for parents to sign in and then uh, found this room. Two a wonderful young women have set up this room with all of these toys for four one-year-old babies to sit there and play with for an hour and a half. And then, you know, at a certain point, they gathered them together, handed out some snacks, and read a one-minute Bible story. And it just kind of blew my mind that, that that's church. It's not spectacular musicians or great preachers or whatever. It's people who just go, man, I'm going to give what I have to make this thing work. Actually, the thing that really impressed me was right next door, there was the parents' room for the really little babies, there were three women in there who had the room set up. They just waited there and nobody came. And it's like, I can't believe that three people, their whole experience of church on that Sunday morning was just to create a space in case a young parent needed a space to go to. And it's like, man, you can't, you can't pay people to do this. Something has grabbed their hearts where together, like we together do this thing. And you know, when I came out, there's, there's people who've been preparing food. We've had packing teams there since 5 a.m. And then there are the musicians who've been practicing and the people speaking who've prepared. But that's only Sunday. Then there's people who open up their homes during the week for small groups. There's people who go and do pastoral visitation. There's people who care. I love church because it's a body. And, you know, even the next Sunday when I was back and, and our granddaughter wasn't there and I noticed those two young women again in their volunteer shirts heading down, I was like, I, I cannot believe that, that Sunday after Sunday, this is their commitment, that we bring what we have to make this thing where I love church because it's a body, which kind of leads to the, the fifth one. And, and you may not, you might be a bit of a cringe for some of you around this because, and it's hard to find the right word. So I've used the word enterprise because some people are like, oh, the church is, a, a, is an organism, not an organization. And you go, yeah, it is organic, but actually there is a level of organization. And the Bible's quite explicit about that. Paul says this, we are for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field and God's building. There's a sense of, oh, yeah, we're a family. Yeah, we're a bride. Yeah, we're a temple. Uh, yeah, we're a body. But we're also, in this, we're a market garden and we're a building project. And this thing is going somewhere and we're working to see it advance. And one of the reasons I love church and I love our church is because it's going somewhere, because we're building something, because we're bringing in a harvest. If you look at the context of this passage, just before, Paul unpacks this whole thing like in a market garden. Some people plant, some people water. 
Uh, but we are all working together for God's service. You're God's field. And then he changes the building one. Again, different jobs. I laid a foundation. Some people are building on it. But it's like Jesus ultimately said, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. I love the fact that we're part of a church that has a sense of it's going somewhere. And, and I know there's lots of ministries and churches around New Zealand that it just feels frustrated and stunted. I love the fact that we're growing. I love the fact that we're starting new campuses. I love the stories of what I hear in the UK of, uh, of multiple locations and looking at buildings and church plants and how you're partnering with the Philippines and with Ghana and the connections into Germany and Switzerland and Denmark. And it's like, I love being part of something that's an enterprise that's advancing. I love the fact that we're not just treading water, but we're going somewhere. I love my church because there is a sense, yeah, we're family and we love each other. We're a bride and there's beautiful moments. There's a temple and there's transcendent moments. There's a body and we all bring our gifts to the table, but actually there's a sense of momentum. And I love being part of a church where there's a sense of momentum which kind of leads to the next one. And if you didn't like that one, you're definitely not going to like this one. The church is an army. Um, and, and it, but again, Paul says this, Philippians, uh, I think it's necessary to send back to Epaphroditus. And he says these three things. He's my brother, he's my co-worker, and he's my fellow soldier. Yeah, we're brothers. This is all about family. It's just about love. Yeah, it's co-workers. We're trying to build something. But actually, we're also fellow soldiers in a cause. If you think this is just one random thing, and Philemon, he, he gives different people these different categories. Philemon, he's my friend, and he's a fellow worker. Uh, this woman is our sister, and this person, he's our fellow soldier. And Paul operates through multiple pictures. Yeah, we are a family. Yeah, we are a bride. Yeah, we are a temple. Yeah, we are a body. Yeah, we are an enterprise. But actually, there's another sense we are an army. And I love the fact, because, you know, it's nice that some people care for me. It's really nice. It's nice that there are beautiful moments. It's nice that there's some momentum. But to be honest, the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the feeling like we're taking some ground for God. We're seeing the kingdom of darkness broken over people's lives. We're seeing people set free. We're seeing advances. We're seeing freedom. We're seeing reconciliation. We're seeing hope. We're seeing transformation. We're seeing freedom. And, and so I, I unapologetically, I love the fact that we're on a mission to see people set free. Um, Paul reinforces this, join, me with, join with me in suffering like a good soldier. Yeah, I'm a brother or sister. Yeah, but I'm also a soldier in this thing. Um, there's a picture in Revelation is at the end of Jesus. And, and maybe we like gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but here's another side of Jesus. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. Not against people, not against organizations, but against powers that hold people in bondage. Against, uh, against powers that hold suburbs and towns and darkness and depression and oppression. That holds people in, in, in hopelessness. I love the fact that Jesus wants to see those things broken. His eyes are like blazing fire on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. I love verse 14. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen. If Jesus is, he's a big brother, he's loving, but he's also the commander of heaven's armies. And I know this is right at the end, but right now, 
He's leading the people of God to also break off the power of darkness over people's lives. You know, at the end of it, coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. That's a metaphor for authority. And verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He wants to establish his rule over anything that's, that's opposed to that because his rule brings peace. His rule brings hope. Hope. His rule brings freedom. His rule brings restoration. His rule brings reconciliation. And I love being part of a church that's part of that. There's a great prophecy in Ezekiel 37 where um, Ezekiel is showing this uh, vision of this valley of bones. It's, it's broken people. It's a broken nation. And it's hopeless. And God asks him, can these bones live? And he says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And if you know the thing, he's told to prophesy to them and that they're going to come to life and flesh is going to come on them and breath is going to come into them. Oh, and, that's, and then you will know that I am Lord, that I know who Jesus is because he brings life where there's hopelessness. But um, he prophesies and there's this rattling and they come together and tendons and flesh appear on them. But it says, but there was no breath in them. And this is the climax of the prophecy. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and they stood up on their feet. Not a vast family holding hands, singing Kumbaya, though that's important. Not just a beautiful bride that brings tears to your eyes. Not even just a beautiful temple. But they stood up as a vast army. And I want to believe that God is raising up an army of peace, an army of hope, an army of restoration, an army of reconciliation. That Equippers UK is going to be an army that brings the smile of God onto the smile of people's faces all throughout the UK, all throughout Europe and beyond. And it's like, oh man, I love being part of a church that's making a difference. So I love the fact that I'm part of a church that has that sense of mission and purpose and cause. And so when you put that all together, I love church, why? Because I love that it's a family, I love that it's a bride, I love that it's a temple, I love that it's a body, I love that it's an enterprise, and I love that it's an army. But here's the paradox. I love all that because it's not actually ultimate. I love that because I love something more than that. And if you look at it, yeah, it's a family, but it's a family of God, brothers and sisters of Jesus. Yeah, it's a bride, but it's a bride of Christ. It's a temple of God, founded on Christ, filled with the Spirit. It's the body of Christ, gifted by the Spirit. It's the enterprise of God, God led by Christ. And it's the army of God, led by Christ, empowered by the Spirit. I love church because I love Jesus more, and Jesus is at work in his church. And, and, and as we wrestle with this kind of coming hopefully towards the end of COVID and rethinking our future, actually my prayer is not that you would fall in love with church, but that you would fall in love with Jesus again. And then you would see the beautiful things that Jesus is doing in his church. You know, the book of Revelation is an incredible book where John as an old man is facing some real challenges of an oppressive system and his church under threat. And, and God gives him some revelations about the future and what's going to happen in chapter 4 to 22. And, and then he gives him, earlier than that, though, he gives him revelations about what's going on in the church. But the first revelation he gets is actually a fresh revelation of Jesus. And maybe if you're a bit struggling, if you're a bit unsure, if you're a bit disillusioned, Actually, before you get a revelation of what God's doing in the world or in the church, you just need a fresh revelation of Jesus. 
And, and so if you look at it, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. I'll explain that a bit later. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The images of a priest, a high priest, that in the temple there were oil lamps. And one of the jobs of the priest was to tend the lamps, to keep the light of God burning. And it's like, here's a picture of Jesus tending these lamps. And then the vision of him, the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. I'll talk about that in a minute. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. Again, an image of authority. His voice was like the sun shining in its brilliance. And this, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is John, who as a young teenager had reclined on the chest of Jesus, had been described as the disciple whom Jesus loved, who knew Jesus. And then the, the, the apostle who had served him longer than anyone else when all of his friends were executed. John's still serving, and John has these incredible revelations. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But as an elderly man, when, when he's possibly losing hope or he's uncertain. It's like, John, you need a fresh revelation of Jesus. And it just about undoes him. I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then he interprets right there what you're seeing, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. If I get a fresh revelation of Jesus and I fall in love with Jesus, and then I ask, what's Jesus doing? He's building his church. He's tending his church. He's growing his family. He's preparing his bride. He's building his temple. He's equipping his body. He's building this enterprise. He's leading his army. And because I love Jesus, I love those moments, which now I understand are moments when I meet Jesus in church. And I know that's not the only place to meet him, but I understand that he's involved in this thing. And actually this, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. And I understand that I love Jesus and Jesus loves his church. And that's why I love the church. Why do I love the church? Because Jesus is there and Jesus is doing incredible things. I love it that we're a family and we love each other. We're a bride and there are beautiful moments. We're a temple. There are transcendent moments. We're a body. We all get to bring our gifts to the table. We're an enterprise and we are making progress, but we're an army and there's an important cause that's making a difference in people's lives. And I love the fact that we're part of that. Hey, I pray as you navigate this kind of transition out of this difficult time, that you would fall in love with church again, that you would decide, man, I wanna be part of this. Why? Not because actually that we love church, why? Because we love Jesus and he's doing beautiful things in his church.